We are just days away from banners being raised and, and T-shirts being printed and flags being flown all across the world of minor league baseball honoring the champions of the 2015 season. Welcome in, everybody. It is Minor League Baseball's The Show Before the Show podcast. I am Tyler Mon. It's episode number 25. We made it to a quarter century. Joining us from a uh, construction site in New York City, I think, is Sam Dykstra. Hi, Sam. Hi. Uh, I can... <laughs> I can say I'm definitely not in a construction site. It might sound like it just that, sounds over, the, that over the podcast. Yeah, some of our uh, neighbors here in the office are uh, undergoing some work, apparently. Uh, I'll be excited to see what their facelift looks like, but right now all I have to deal with is the racket. So if it, if it ever it's, uh, at times sounds like I'm in a tornado of hardware, <laughs> uh, that, that would explain it. Just know the I'll, same I'll, is safe. Yeah. No matter yes, what. I, I'm completely safe. Nobody call my mother. We're not doing uh, this from, you know, like we just we dump Sam down. He's in, they're digging out a foundation for a skyscraper <laughs> or something. But I have to do the podcast while I'm. <laughs> exactly. So, Make sure you're ready for the show before the show, Sam. Yeah. I, I, I uphold my responsibilities. <laughs> so welcome into the 25th edition of the show. Minor League Baseball playoffs in full swing from coast to coast. And we got a ton of stuff coming up for you on the show today. The number five prospect in the Houston Astros organization and probably. Probably a, uh, a widespread minor league player of the year, unanimous, I'm sure, and a whole lot of votes for a whole lot of publications and a whole lot of outlets who will honor those things. A.J. Reed will join us. Uh, his season just ended with the A Corpus Christi Hooks, who were eliminated from the Texas League playoffs. We will talk to A.J. in a little bit. Talk to Benjamin Hill as well. We got some good stuff from Ben coming up about his most recent road trip and uh, also some stuff going on in the playoffs. We don't get to talk about promos a lot in the playoffs, but uh, we do have a, a few things to discuss in that vein. And uh, Sam, what's the vibe around the office like right now? I saw Kelsey made brackets. Kelsey Hannigan, another one of our writers, she made brackets for every league. Yeah, that's that's her thing now. This is her second playoffs, and uh, this is the second time she's been able to make brackets and keeps them very stringent and um, – she had a minor heart attack when she thought she made an, made a mistake. I think last week in the uh, Pioneer League, so she's she sticks to them. Um, yeah, we're all very excited for the, uh, <laughs> the season, get to crown some champions, and we're not all making brackets and color coding them like she is. But uh, yeah, we're all excited. Well, let's uh, let's knock out just uh, a quick congratulations to a handful of champions who are already done with their seasons and have wrapped things up. We'll talk about this one a little bit later on, but the Charlotte Stone Crabs knocked off the Daytona Tortugas in the Florida State League playoffs at the Class A advanced level in four games, that best-of-five series. The Northwest League playoffs, a real thriller between Hillsboro uh, and Tri-City in that one, and the Hillsboro Hops win their second straight league title there. They're kind of building a mini dynasty in the Northwest League playoffs. And in the Appalachian League, the Greenville Astros have already won. Those playoffs wrapped up last week. Uh, there are also a few other finishes. The Arizona League playoffs and the Gulf Coast League playoffs we talked about a little bit. Uh, the AZL White Sox won that series in short season, low-level rookie ball. And uh, the GCL Red Sox won their series two games to none uh, over the Blue Jays affiliate. And uh, one other one, congratulations to the Tigres de Quintana Roo, who are the Cancun team, who just last night clinched their 12th Mexican League title as they knocked off Monclova to win that championship. So we've got titles already being wrapped up around the minors, but we've got some of the best matchups uh continuing and some of the top talent in the minor leagues continuing to play their seasons out as we get toward the conclusion of these 2015 playoffs and sam let's start there and strike one for this week's edition of three strikes some of the top prospects who are still alive in the minor league postseason you wrote a great piece today on uh who to keep an eye out for among those teams and among those guys lay out some of your top ones for us 
Yeah, and just kind of before we get to that, you mentioned a couple of the champions. Um, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we did have uh, Hillsborough Hops shortstop Danzy Sponson on the we did last year. We, we did. got him. We like to think we gave him a little bit of a boost there. And then you wrote a piece earlier this year about Mexican League teams in spring training. And I did. Stateside and uh, Tigres were one of them. So, so you know, the TSBTS boost, the bump is in full. We're in full gear now. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I just want to get that out of the way. Dansby Swanson hit yeah. a walk-off single like five hours after he joined us. Right. Podcast, so I think so. it's it's science. But at this you're point, welcome, we, Hops fans. Right. We do have an effect on these things. <laughs> um, but speaking of which, let, let's get to some of the top prospects. Like you said, I did write a piece today on some of the guys you can watch in the uh, AAA and AA uh, champion championships in the you know different leagues that are going on there there's five between the triple a and double a um one that really kind of stands out to me i actually wrote two for this team was round rock um they made a couple of late season promotions um bringing up some really talented outfielders to their team between nomar mazara and lewis brinson um brinson's kind of a surprise to see that he's in the pcl playoffs guys started the year at, at high a desert um, you know, he produced a 332, 403, 601 line at all three stops this season. So he, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, has hit everywhere. I, I guess it really shouldn't be that much of a surprise that it, they made him a fast riser. But, you know, we don't normally see guys go, you know, high A to triple A one year like that, like he has. Um, so I'm interested to see what kind of effect he'll have um, here in the PCL finals against, you know, a team we both really liked coming into these playoffs in Fresno. Um, and then Lewis Brinson, you know, another guy outfielder there that made a little more sense. Spent most of his year at Frisco. Um, he's been hitting 358 in his 20 regular season games with Round Rock. Uh, you know, during their semifinal sweep, the two combined to go six for 18. So they, they are bringing that form with them to the playoffs. Um, kind of exciting for Rangers fans to kind of keep an eye on. And this is an exciting time for Rangers fans as they make their own push. So they can kind of keep an eye on that. Um, kind of an interesting note over in the IL. Um, it is the Indianapolis Indians playing the Indians AAA affiliate in the Columbus Clippers. Um, I can't take credit for that. There's a really good Twitter account out there called Miners Teams, Miners Team Names. Um, if you want to follow that, I, I got that from him. Um, but yeah, for over there in Indianapolis, going to keep an eye on Tyler Glass now. Um, you know, obviously has been pitched really, really well at every level he's been at. Um, Indianapolis is no exception to that. Uh, he's only get, got 114 third and a third innings under his belt this year, which is 10 fewer than he had all of last year. So we shouldn't really worry too much about a uh, any kind of pitch or you know out of the ordinary pitch limit or innings limit with him if he's going to take the mound here in the Governor's Cup Finals. Um, so that should be exciting for Pirates fans to follow. Um, over in Double A, uh, Orlando Arcia, you know he's been a guy we've talked about consistently this year with Biloxi and their kind of crazy season given their long road trip to start the year they could have a really really sweet ending um, as they go for a Southern League title and he performed you know really really well uh, in the semis or the semifinals there for Biloxi going eight for 13 with two homers a triple three doubles I mean this guy was an extra base machine uh, there in the semi so I'll be excited to see what he's going to be able to do um, so those are just some of the guys again you know, I, I linked to one per team if you want to check this out. I know this is coming out Thursday. A couple of the series will be well underway at that point. But, uh, you know, there's no shortage of prospects still still around, even though a lot of teams have been eliminated. 
which is really cool because you kind of get to this point in the season and some of the faces have changed. Guys have been promoted from maybe where you were used to seeing them throughout the season. They're on new rosters. They've moved up or down a level, whatever it is. So it's a good spot to go uh, find some of the top guys who you will be able to witness in the postseason on MILB.TV and elsewhere. Let's move on into Strike 2, Sam, which is a topic that uh, will segue us into a broader topic. But as we noted, a congratulations to the Charlotte Stone Crabs in the Florida State League who won the uh, league championship there but did so in kind of strange fashion. They get a 3-1 series victory over Daytona in that set. Uh, Charlotte captured games one and two, lost game three, and then won game four. But they did so in game four in the 13th inning on a walk-off walk, which is one of the strangest ways that you could finish a, a game period not to mention a championship game but let's talk about that in a minute first of all charlotte i mean just a really really talented team this season uh there were some really good matchups in that series i mean brent honeywell obviously was on that team amir garrett uh on the other side for daytona those are both number threes in each of their respective organizations that was a fun series to watch but charlotte has been kind of one of the under the radar really talented teams this year in the minors yeah and honeywell uh, i know you guys have talked to, about him at length i was one of jake's guys rest in I peace know, jake. That- yeah, that was definitely one of Jake's guys. And we got our RIP Jake mentioned. So there he is. Still <laughs> still going strong on those. Um, but, yeah, going into that game, it was Brent Honeywell going up against Amir Garrett, who has been kind of one of the, the breakout pitchers in the FSL. Certainly, you know, has a case for pitcher of the year over there. Um, that's exactly what you want to see in an all-decisive game, you know, that kind of pitching matchup. Um, Charlotte was able to touch him up a little bit early, get two runs off him in the first. He settled down. You know, the Tortugas get a couple runs back against Honeywell. You know, it's one of those back-and-forth games. And then, you're right, it, it, it wasn't just a walk-off walk. It was a four-pitch walk-off walk. And I kind of want to read the quote from uh, from their manager. Juan comes up and works the count, 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, and now you can kind of feel it, and the fans got into it. So I don't know if I've, I've ever seen, witnessed myself, fans getting excited for a 3-0 count quite as much as <laughs> I'm sure that place was rocking on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, that, that's got to be a, uh, you know, for people who have seen Moneyball and the most, I think icon- one of the most iconic scenes in that is when David Justice takes a walk and slowly flips his back. Um, so I, that's how I imagine that going down in my mind is just a very, you know, dramatic moment where, you get to walk to first and become a, a hero like that, like Keen Wong did, brother of Colton Wong, of course, of the, of the Cardinals. The walk-off celebration on a walk-off walk has to be weird, too, because it doesn't have quite the emotion of, you know, hitting a walk-off single where you're racing to first base and all of a sudden everybody's going to mob you there. I would imagine, you know, you kind of take a slow jog and people follow behind for a while before they attack you, but it seems, you know, it's a lot different dynamic. Yeah, you don't want any of the, what was it, Robin Ventura for the Mets? Yeah. Hit that walk-off grand slam that only counted for two runs, I think. Right. Because they didn't, they wouldn't allow him to, to finish. <laughs> they didn't get him around the bases. Yeah, like you, you legally have to go to first base for this to, to go, and the guy has to legally come home. So there's no wildly everybody throwing up their you know hands in the air, and everybody has to advance. So it's got to kind of put that all in pause. I would sprint to first, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I would sprint first as if it was a bunt. <laughs> That's and just it. try to get there as quickly as possible. This reminds me of, I don't remember, you know, you know how it is. We read so many games, stories, so many recaps, so much craziness. I think it was 
a high school baseball game, uh, I want to say in Florida, maybe last year. All of those details could be wrong. But there was a <laughs> walk-off walk in which the player who walked – or no, it was a walk-off single in which the player who singled never made it to first base because of the celebration. He was called out on the appeal, and his team lost. So make sure if you're listening, if you're a kid who's playing baseball or if you're a minor league baseball prospect who's playing right, baseball, yeah. just make sure you make it to first base. Can you think of a weirder way for a game to end than that, especially with a, a championship on the line? I, I can't imagine that kind of thing. I mean, we've already seen this year a guy not touch home on a homer. Um, so, you know, there have been plenty of reminders this year to touch every base that you can. Kids and minor leaguers, touch the base. Just touch the base. It's yeah. as easy as that. Uh, the only thing I could think of that would rival that in strangeness would be like a walk-off balk. That would be like the, <laughs> or like a walk-off catcher's interference or something as strange oh, as that. Oh, walk-off catcher's interference would be the worst because then you have a catcher to blame <laughs> for all of his days. So let's let's not even think about that. But congratulations to Charlotte on getting the win there. That's strike two. And strike three this week will continue on the minor league postseason trail with another topic that will evolve into a bigger topic. Class A advance Myrtle Beach, uh, obviously on the strength of my three years as their radio guy five years ago, uh, now a win (laughs) away from their first Mills Cup championship since 2000 when they actually shared a championship with the team that they are playing in this year's Mills Cup final, if I remember correctly. That's the Wilmington Blue Rocks from the Carolina League's North Division. But Myrtle Beach has been buoyed by – the addition of a big bat in major leaguer Jorge Soler, who has played there on a rehab stint. And that is our topic. Minor league teams sometimes get these lucks of the draw where a major league star is injured, has to play in minor league games, and there are only certain affiliates who are still taking part in games at that point. So Jorge Soler comes out, plays in game action for Myrtle Beach, and now the Pelicans are up two games to none in the Mills Cup Championship. Sam, is that fair? Does that strike you as being right, that minor league teams get to benefit from major league stars in this way in the postseason? Well, uh, what I kind of come back to is the idea that the minor leagues are a feeder system for the majors. I mean, everything the minor leagues does is to, at least on a prospect level, on a player level, um, on an organizational level, is to prop up the major league club. Um, so when Jorge Soler is trying to come back from a you know oblique injury and you know the Cubs really need him to be at 100% when he comes back, you know, it is kind of the job of Myrtle Beach to give him a spot, and I'm sure they're very glad to. I mean, everybody would love to have his uh, bat in the lineup at any level, really, at this point. Um, as fairness, as, as far as it goes for, you know, Wilmington, they have to go up against a major leaguer, and um, you know, I think the Cubs have announced that he's definitely going to finish the series um, with the Pelicans. They're going to keep him down there as long as they can just to get him all those at-bats. You know, is that fair? Uh, I don't know. You could you could certainly go the other way, but you know they are games that we need. You know the minor leagues needs to feed that major league club and kind of be subservient to it in many ways. I hate to put it that way, but that's what it is. Um, so when these opportunities open up, you know you just kind of have to roll with it. And uh, you know one kind of cool thing, you know reading over, I think it was yeah Kelsey Hannigan had a story on Solaire over there, and Pelicans manager Mark Johnson was just saying, you know he's been a uh, complete pro with it you know he, he understands what everybody's going there for you know with a Mills Cup final um, and he wants to be a part of it which is kind of cool and you know he's not just going in to get his at-bats he's, he's a part of the atmosphere and kind of adding to it and um, you know that part is good to see um, I'm sure the Blue Rocks would not uh, would love him not to be there but I'm sure they understand what about well, for you what we're you not think? gonna we're not gonna be very good with you know our embraced debate um <laughs> 
It's nature okay. We can both that agree. That's we have allowed. been called to. No, I mean, I think, is it fair? No. Is it the only option? Yeah. If there were other teams that were involved in the postseason that were minor league affiliates uh, of the, the Chicago Cubs, that you could put Jorge Soler to let him get his work, you know, if it's Tennessee, if it's Iowa, whoever, then I don't think it's really that much of an issue. Let's also point out as well, Soler has been good, but it's not like he's been just flat out dominating so far in the postseason. He's three for 10. Uh, He's got an OPS of 917, thanks to a couple of walks as well. He's been very good, but... It's not as if they added Babe Ruth and all of a sudden they're beating everybody 14 to nothing. So Myrtle Beach has benefited from it. Is it an outlandish benefit? No, I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, kind of as Sam noted, that's the purpose of minor league teams. And the reason why we're talking about this is we've heard about it on social media and you kind of see people discussing this topic from time to time. Does this seem fair? Uh, there's a, a story a few years ago that the Trenton Thunder got to start Andy Pettit for a rehab game in the Eastern League. I believe it was in the championship series. And that kind of caused some consternation at a time. That's just the way it goes. And so for for the people who are upset about it, I understand that. It makes sense. And, you know, when you think about it intuitively, yeah, it is kind of a a rough draw for Wilmington. But at the same time, the most important thing for the Chicago Cubs and for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, for that matter, is the success of the Chicago Cubs. So for Jorge Soler to have to go there to get his work is just something that happens because of the time of year in which this has been the case. It's not like the Cubs are sending Jorge Soler there because they're so committed to getting a Class A advanced title. (laughs) They want to make sure that they have Jorge Soler's bat ready when October comes around they're playing in that wild card game so interesting topic yeah kind of a bummer if your team is on the opposite side of that but it's the way it has to be right and they're not exactly like pretend or intentionally hurting it you know they right. it's not like <laughs> right. Jorge, or you know Jorge your oblique kind of hurts right now doesn't it yeah why don't you go down to Myrtle Beach they need help they need a right fielder they gotta get this uh, postseason win in right or they're not stretching it out you know they're not trying to get so many games out of them like right. I said, they're going to allow him to finish the series. But um, as of this taping, he's played three postseason games. It's not out of the question. You know, it's nothing crazy whack. They're not trying to put their thumbs on the scales, anything like that. It's just a normal rehab thing. If this happens in May, we don't care. Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting topic. I'm glad we got to discuss it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is what it is. It just comes at a really interesting time of year. And, uh, you know, if you want to shut down Myrtle Beach, you got to shut down Victor Caratini. He's the guy who's <laughs> killing everybody. An 11.75 OPS and six runs batted in through five postseason games. So Pelicans one win away in the Carolina League. We are going to move on, close out three strikes for this week, and discuss uh, the close to a terrific season for one of the top young prospects. This year has been the year of the prospect. The next wave of guys is already coming, and one of them who is at the forefront of that movement is A.J. Reed, a first baseman in the Houston Astros organization who will join us to talk about his breakout 2015 next postseason accolades are coming fast and furious from just about everywhere every publication that covers minor league baseball and of course milb.com is first and foremost among those and so we wanted to get aj reed as sam put it today in an email to me wanted to get him before he was on everybody's radar as probably the minor league player of the year across every single measure uh but welcome in astros prospect aj back after a very long drive home uh following the end of the texas league playoff run for his corpus christi hooks in double a how are you man it's good to talk to you yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about this season uh, because obviously it's virtually any way you slice it. This is a, a great year. It's a breakout year for you, but it's kind of one of those things that I think 
most people who observed you as a, a debut player last year who saw what you did in school at the University of Kentucky kind of expected this to be coming along. Uh, but this season, I mean, things were really good. 135 games combined between Class A Advanced Lancaster and AA Corpus Christi. An OPS combined of 1044 with 34 home runs and 127 runs driven in. Uh, you led the minor leagues in a host of categories offensively, including those. What has this season felt like? I mean, to be able to get your first full wire-to-wire professional season under your belt and have it be this good. I mean, your initial reaction with the just a couple days now separating you from the end of the season until now, how good was this season? How did this feel? Um, it's been a great year. Uh, you know, it's a, I got to play with two really good teams and, um, you know, just to be able to play well all year and, um, you know, been on two teams that won a lot of games. Uh, it was just a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I, I couldn't have really imagined it going any other way. And uh, just kind of, you know, again, we mentioned, you know, the great year you had last year between Kentucky and the pros. Uh, what were your expectations kind of coming into this year, and did you beat your own? Um, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to to just go out there and have a successful year. Um, you know, I, I set a goal home runs and um I, I wanted to hit 30 home runs this year and so I, I that was pretty much my only goal for the year uh so I, I was able to do that uh, like the, all the other numbers you know, I didn't really have any specific goals for that but um you know I couldn't have asked for more it's a pretty special year not just for myself but you know for the organization for my teammates coaches and everybody who was associated with it Let's talk about the way that your season kind of developed uh, because as you got into each level playing at Class A Advance to start the season, Double A, around the midway point of the season in mid-July, you got better as every month, every week seemingly went on. I mean, in April at the Class A Advance level, you OPS 772, then 1080 in May, 1206 in June, 1436 in 10 games in July, and then you make that jump to Double A, and obviously there's going to be an adjustment period. During that adjustment period in 18 games in July, you hit three 308 with a 1020 OPS. I mean, the, making an in-season jump can be difficult enough, but especially going to Double A, which is really one of those tough levels to get adjusted to. How did you find that adjustment to be able to go from a hitter-friendly environment in Lancaster that really, you know, kind of heightens the offense, going to Corpus Christi, getting adjusted, and then just blowing up through July and August? Uh, yeah, the biggest adjustment for me was just learning how the pitchers were going to pitch to the conditions. Um, you know. Uh, there's some places in the Texas League where the wind is a little more favorable to the pitchers, and you know I had to learn how they were gonna pitch to a guy who's in the middle of the water with a little bit of power. And, um, you know, I felt like I was able to make those adjustments quick, and uh, you know not let myself get into a little rut and then let that carry throughout the year. So, um, you know, just learning how they were gonna pitch me and making adjustments to that. And what what did you learn about how they were going to pitch you? You know, what, a lot of people talk about you know that jump being the biggest there between high A and double A. Um, just you, you face sometimes pitchers who have been in the majors or you know certainly pitched at higher levels. You know, have kind of different stuff, can throw the ball almost where they want. Um, how were they pitching you at double A? That was a little different. Yeah, uh, the biggest the biggest thing that was different was um, they threw inside a lot more. Um, they're not afraid to challenge you inside and you know they like you said they can throw the ball where they want and um you know they're not afraid to miss in and, and challenge you and then 
at the same time, they can throw off speed for a strike at any time. So there was a little bit more off speed and, and fastball counts. And, uh, you know, just, you know, you have to look for a good pitch. And, uh, you know, when did you kind of feel settled into that double A level? And, you know, did you ever really feel challenged? I mean, just looking at the way it worked out, you know, you did have some learning curve there, but um, did you ever feel like this was a level that was truly going to challenge you? Um, you know, I I felt before I got there, I was a little skeptical on how I would, you know, play there. But then once I got there, and um, there were some guys who I had already faced and the colleague that were there, so I felt a little bit more comfortable with that, knowing that I had seen some of those guys before. Uh, you know, I just I just tried to keep the same approach while I was there, just get a good pitch to hit and put a good swing on it. So I, I feel like as long as I can stay with that approach and not – uh, you know, think about where I'm playing at or what level I'm playing at, then I should be all right. AJ's ranked as the number five prospect in the Houston Astros system, which obviously is just so loaded with talent. And AJ, we talked to Mark Appel early on this season, kind of about the the winning culture that the Astros have created. And five years ago, that would have been an inconceivable thing to say. But with this rebuild that the Astros have gone through and the way that it's now translating at the major league level, it seems like from the, the lowest levels of the organization to the upper tiers of the minor leagues and into the major leagues, that's the emphasis across the board now is just winning. And obviously you're on not one, but two teams this year that end up in the postseason. Lancaster uh, eliminated now in the California league. They won the league last year and Corpus Christi, you guys saw your season come to an end uh, just this past week, but making it to the postseason, knowing how to win, being a part of a winning clubhouse and a winning culture. How big is that right now in the Houston system? And what's that been like for you guys to get used to that, to having so much success at every single level? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it goes back to them just doing a really good job in the drafts and drafting really good players and, and players who are coachable and want to learn and, and get better. And then, you know, it just goes to show for the, for the guys who we have coaching and teaching us. And, um, you know, we got a lot of guys who play in the big leagues who are, uh, you know, helping us every day. And uh, we owe a lot to them. Who, you know, they come out here every day with us and try to make us better. And, you know, they, those are the guys who are, installing the the winning atmosphere so um you know we feel like you know we shouldn't expect anything less than winning and i feel like that goes across the board for our whole organization to have a big league club doing that now makes it a lot a lot more fun for us to win too so we can just kind of have that as a whole organization yeah and kind of looking forward here for you aj just a little bit um you know you're back uh, you know, out of the season now, looking forward, you're you're going to be heading to the Arizona Fall League soon. I'm part of a loaded roster down there. You know, with guys like J.P. Crawford, Austin Meadows, a couple other guys. Um, you know, what are you most looking forward to with that experience? And uh, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish in what a lot of people call the finishing school for prospects? Um, you know, I'm just I'm not, I'm just really excited to be able to have the opportunity to go play there. You know, not a lot of people will get that chance. And, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is just getting at bats off of those pitchers, the quality of pitchers that are going to be there. And, and you know, I'm trying to get more at bats off of left-handed pitchers to get more comfortable facing them and um, having better quality at bats against left-handed pitchers. So, you know, for me, I feel like that's going to be the biggest thing for me is just getting those at bats um, for as long as I'm there and, you know, try to just become a better hitter against better pitchers. Cool. And we were talking before about 
you know, the, all these awards that are going to kind of come your way. One of them was the Bowman uh, Home Run Award. Um, I, I saw in a story somebody on our site did that, you know, you do kind of pay attention to how many homers you had and where you were in the lead. Um, how much are you paying attention now to all these, you know, accolades you're getting ESPN, Baseball America, Yahoo? Um, you know, how much are you paying attention to that and how affirming is it to see your name on all these lists? Um, you know, I, I see them when they come out just cause, you know, people tell you about them or are like, like on the social media, they'll, you know, send them to you, things like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice. It's, it's humbling. It's an honor to, to have people noticing what you're doing throughout the year. So it, it kind of just, uh, you know, makes all the hard work you put in worth it. And, um, you know, and it's not just for me. Like I like the point that I like is that I get to share it with, the guys who I played with and coaches and things like that too. AJ, you were talking about getting better at bats against left-handed pitchers. One of the things you want to accomplish in the AFL, uh, you were at one time a left-handed pitcher, which a lot of people probably don't know, uh, but a 2014 golden spikes award winner as the, the best collegiate baseball player from USA baseball. And let me just read off some of the names that that came before you to win that award from 2013, all the way back through 2005, Chris Bryant, Mike Zanino, Trevor Bauer, Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, Buster Posey, David Price, Tim Lincecum, and Alex Gordon, uh, which, you know, is a pretty good pedigree to follow. Uh, I mean, what has it been like just getting to be a part of sort of this elite prospect class now? Because we've seen this year, we've talked so much about how it's been the year of the prospect. I mean, the Astros organization probably more than any kind of showcases that with Carlos Correa and all the talent that's graduated to the major leagues. But now, rather than just being the college guy, the kid who can both kill the ball at the plate and is a, a, a power arm on the mound, now you get to be one of those guys who's talked about as the next wave of great talent to arrive in the big leagues. Have you been able to kind of step back from the way this season's gone and last season has gone and realize that all of this stuff is, is pretty close at hand for you? I mean, within the next foreseeable future, you're going to finally get to, to capture that major league dream? Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, it's definitely um, awesome to be in that same category as those guys. And, you know, as you're reading those names off, I'm just like, I'm thinking to myself, you know, can I be as good as those guys? Um, but, you know, I just try not to think about think about being big leagues too much. I'm just trying to think about getting better. And you know, I feel like going to the fall league would be the first step for that. And, and you know, using the off season to do what I need to do to be ready for spring training, you know, go in there and compete for a job. So, uh, you know, whenever they feel like I'm ready, then I'll be ready and, uh, you know, take advantage of opportunities when I get them. All right, AJ, we'll let you off the hook with this one. Um, as Tyler mentioned, you were a pitcher in college. Uh, you were a pretty good one, too. Um, you know, maybe you had decided to go that route, maybe gone a little later in the draft, but still could have been a prom promising hurler, perhaps, in the minors. Um, if you had gone that route this year, um, taken the same path, gone to the Cal League, Texas League, what do you think your ERA would have been had you been a pitcher this year instead? Shoot, <laughs> in the Cal League, you never know. It could be anything. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen some guys' ERAs blow up in a matter of 20 minutes. So, um, you know, it'd, it'd be tough to say. I definitely have to. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to keep the ball down. That's for sure. That's a, that's a tough league to, to be a pitcher in. Let's ask you this: Who would be the one guy who you've played with or against this season who you would most want to face as a pitcher? What hitter do you think you would have the most fun trying to get out? Um. Well, we when I was in Lancaster, 
played we played uh, Puig on a rehab. So that's uh, a good one. That is a Puig. good one. <laughs> that is all. Not many guys can even have that conversation and be able to back it up with some numbers that, you know, won them the Golden Spikes Award. But A.J. Reed certainly can. A.J. Reed, Houston Astros prospect, uh, finally back home for the offseason after a one heck of a season and, and a breadth of work this year across two levels. And uh, congratulations on all the success, man, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again next year. All right. Thank you. minor league playoffs in full swing we've got some interesting stuff to talk about promotions wise that we uh i don't think many of us ever really even thought about and uh it's not often that we get to talk about a whole bunch of promos as it pertains to the playoffs but we welcome in our good friend benjamin hill who is uh back in office and i think this is the first time we've had you in the office since the uh the season ended because last week you were back in the rehab stint at home i think yeah i was i took a sick day last week because um Last Tuesday, I was woke up, and I felt like I was going to pass out, and then I went to bed until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then was pretty much okay, and then I talked to you guys a few hours afterward, and you guys have the true restorative powers. So, so you took a sick day and still <laughs> came on the podcast? I did. It, what a it was champ. Sick day, and I came on the podcast. I have that level of uh, commitment. It's like Michael Jordan playing with <laughs> Hey. <laughs> you got to drain the shot on Craig Elo. Sam Dykstra will play the role of Craig Elo. In oh, this. great. Thank you. for <laughs> my services as one of the most infamous people in Cleveland history. That's fine. You know, that's what I do on this <laughs> on this free podcast of ours. Uh, ben, let's talk about uh, kind of round some things out from the final stretches of uh, your last trip. And there's going to be, as we have noted uh, throughout our interviews with Ben, getting t- close to the end of the season, there will be a ton of stuff from Ben's road trips, both on the blog, which is bensbiz.mlblogs.com, and continuing to come to the site. But most recently, just a couple of days ago, uh, you posted a really cool story from the Lowell Spinners, who are the New York Penn League affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, we talked so much a couple weeks ago about how that whole region, if you're not a Red Sox affiliate, you're still tied to the Red Sox somehow uh, in New England. But the Lowell Spinners obviously have been a longtime affiliate of that club and honored one of their team icons. And it seems like every team across the minors has one of these guys or two of these guys or these women uh, that have become staples of the organization. But for Lowell, as a guy named Dogman, or if he wants to go in a, a classier route, maybe Dogman, as we discussed before we got on. But tell us about Dogman. Yeah, Dogman, I met him when I was at the Spinners game on August 31st. This was part of my last road trip of the year through New England. And, of course, I'm always trying to highlight and profile the quirky characters, the iconic characters, or preferably the iconic quirky characters. Let's, you know, have both of those adjectives apply. And Dogman, it definitely applies. He's a uh, Lowell guy through and through, has the real strong uh, Boston accent. I mean, I know maybe Sam can actually do it a little I, bit, but, the, you know, there's, there's very few R's in the middle of the word. You know, Boston, and you mentioned Barkin <laughs> at one point. Is like the, the fans are barking at me. I can't do it either, but, man, when you want to talk to a true New England character, you talk to Dogman. Um, so he told me a story. He's called Dogman. Because uh, he was a a really well known hot dog vendor in the early days of the franchise, and you know people, fans would say, "Hey, dog man!" And then he got a whole shtick going. And uh, he's a real storyteller and the kind of guy when you interview him, he loves to talk. I barely even had to ask him a question. I just started to say, "Like, so how'd you become dog man?" And then next thing I know, it's like 15 minutes later, and, he, and he's still talking. <laughs> um, I, I, I almost feel like reading some of the quotes in the article, but I can't really uh, capture his presence. But um, really unique character, and then he transitioned to being clubhouse manager, and he's been doing that for the last 15 years. And he actually got a World Series ring 
um, in 20, after the 2013 Boston Red Sox World Championship because in addition to Lowell, he also goes down to spring training every year and uh, works at the minor league complex in Fort Myers. So he's really been a part of the organization. Mm -hmm. And for a guy, you know, from Lowell, working class guy, I think he has had some personal struggles. He's just a colorful character, a unique guy, got a tons of personality, mm -hmm. and he'll be the first to tell you, you know, I'm a legend. That's a direct quote I got from him. <laughs> and I uh, love to meet the dog men of the world in minor league baseball, whoever they may be. And he's a very unique guy. Usually his long hair, right now it's short, but... Um, Big mustache. Big yeah, the mustache is incredible. Right. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's uh, a very unique guy. So that's one of my latest uh, on-the-road pieces. And in terms of the uh, you know feature-length profiles on the website, I'm, I'm starting to wrap that up, working through the end of New England, and uh, that'll be about it. And when it came to Dogman, um, you know, just kind of outside of maybe your talks with him, how did the crowd kind of take to him, and how did you know everybody in Lowell kind of take to him at that game you were at? Well, I wasn't at the game in which he was honored with his retirement. He, it wasn't quite official yet. He told me he was retiring, but um, it was not official. But I was able to do the interview kind of in the context of, hey, you are retiring. So I didn't deal with him um, in terms of him getting honored. But, you know, it's a, it's a bit I have in the story. You know, he's giving the interview and fans are walking by on the concourse going like, hey, dog man, woof, woof. And then he's, you know, hey, hey, you know. Shooting the shooting the stuff with them and um, all, all kinds of stuff like that, and so they honored him on the last day of the season. I don't think it was a gigantic affair, but just saying, like you know, everyone knows Dogman, and he's not going to be here anymore. Or if he is, it's just going to be as a fan. He's already gotten his own bobblehead. Uh, he sells T-shirts with his face on them that say "Dogman Rules." So. Um, <laughs> He's been around, and uh, he won't be forgotten at the stadium. His quotes, I mean, you said you wanted to read some of them from the article because when you read them, you can almost feel the character that he is. And there's one that I have to read, which, again, I can't, I wouldn't be able to do the voice justice either, and I can only imagine how good it was coming from uh, the actual voice itself. But Dogman talked about uh, when he was kind of, you know, creating the legend of Dogman. And he. this is what I love most about this quote is he gets interrupted by a guy who walks by and has been noted a minute ago people yell out dogman woof woof and he said uh see young and old they all know who i am and then he said so what happened was in a continuation of a story which is always the start of a great story he said the head of concessions there in lowell says quote hey the hot dog with ketchup it's a bloodhound so then i get the idea and i start naming the hot dogs you get one with mustard a golden retriever one with relish an irish setter a plain dog is a cocker spaniel and one with everything is a mongrel my ex-wife this is just yeah. like, like, what a character this dude but, is. And you also know he said those exact words. Exactly. Thousands exactly, of yeah. times. Right. I mean, that I was not getting original material there. And, uh, you know, he's been profiled a few times in a local media, and you will see those exact quotes. I would you love know. to know why a plain dog is a Cocker Spaniel, not a Dachshund. That seems like the most – they're called wiener dogs. Yeah, I don't know. You, you'll have to ask Dog I'm going to have to ask the Dog Man himself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it went on and on. At one point he said, like, order three dogs – well, he made a three-dog night reference to Pan, three-dog night. He's like, good are three dogs? And then he's like, Elijah's coming. He sang this part of a three-dog night song. So it goes deep. It goes as deep as you want to go, like with most things in life. If Lowell doesn't use the term three-dog night to refer to long extra innings games from now until eternity, I'm going to be really upset. Just putting it out there like a nerdy <laughs> former radio guy would. Uh, ben, let's talk about some postseason stuff because, as we all know, the uh, the playoffs kind of don't lend themselves to promotions because it's very difficult to assume attendance in postseasons. Uh, you've been around a ton of minor league front offices. For people who have worked in minor league front offices, it's 
that's the toughest time of year because kids are back in school. Right. If you're in a tourist market, you know, tourists are back home from vacation, all that kind of stuff. So nobody really knows a lot of the time what minor league crowds are going to be. But one of the teams who is trying something extraordinarily novel is the Columbus Clippers, who have had a ton of success with it so far. Tell us about what Columbus has got going on. Yeah, I mean, just to elaborate on what you said, the playoffs in minor league baseball almost universally don't draw. And I've talked to you know front office members of teams who are basically like, we'd rather from an operational standpoint, not a rooting standpoint, but from an operational standpoint, we'd almost rather not make the playoffs because it costs more money to open the doors and have this facility active than it does with, you know, compared to any revenue we'll make. As you said, the kids are back in school. The weather's colder again. Uh, a lot of time there's very little notice in terms of when these games are actually going to be. Um, football season is on the brains of so many fans at this time of That's year. That's true, and always big high school football markets for minor league teams too. Right, so you have high school football, college football, the NFL – um, all these uh, strikes against it, you know, the weather's cold. Um, so it's tough. And it's hard to schedule prom- promotions for it as well because you don't even know if you're getting in the prom- the playoffs. And then you don't know what day it is. So it's kind of hard to do that. Uh, unless you're a, a team that's won the first half, then you do have the luxury of maybe, uh, you know, uh, promoting in advance. So all of that is to say the playoffs in minor league baseball, kind of absurd and a little sad because they, it is very hard to generate interest. Uh, so the Columbus Clippers have gone against uh, you know the industry uh, mantra or maxim or whatever ha- you have want to want to say it. Um, you know, don't devalue your product. Don't give the tickets away for free. You want to keep them affordable, but don't give them away for free. But it's the playoffs. Maybe the same rules don't apply. So uh, for Game Five of the semifinals, and then tonight for Game One of the finals, they're just saying all tickets are free. You still need to have a ticket, and it's first come first serve. So you've made the suites available. Um, you know, front row seats, you know, whatever you can get, whatever's available, they'll give it to you for free. And I got over 10,000 fans last night, still running a lot of the food promotions, and they're famous for their dime a dog. So you show up for free and get dime hot dogs and also, you know, beer specials. Uh, they're really blowing it out. Uh, so I don't know how much money they're making, but that's a lot of people in the ballpark still spending some money for a game that you really wouldn't guarantee to sell much more than a thousand or two tickets anyway. And they're getting 10,000 people and creating a true playoff atmosphere, uh, you know, within minor league baseball where playoff atmosphere is usually a oxymoron in the world of minor league baseball. So interesting approach. And I'll be uh, interested to see if other teams take note and say, maybe we should just give these tickets away and uh, you know, do it that way. Yeah. Do you actually think that, a lot of teams will kind of latch onto it. I know you went to a game last week at Staten Island, kind of the you know closest team to, to us here for their playoff game, and it was obviously a different atmosphere, lower level, and all that. But uh, can you see this as something going forward? Yeah, definitely. Um, I can't see it. You have to have a market like Columbus with a very nice stadium in downtown, still decent weather going on at this time of year, and a fairly engaged fan base. So they have a lot going for them to make this work. And the media that I think the media and social media has really gotten behind it. And so it's really kind of taken a life of its own. I think a lot of teams, even if they said, hey, free, it'd be like double embarrassing of, you know, <laughs> offering free tickets and then still having very few people. Right. But I think there's a lot of markets in which this could work. And maybe the Clippers uh, success over the last couple of nights could, you know, reinvigorate that idea of, no, during the season, we don't give our tickets away. The playoffs, so many variables against us in that situation. Let's just try to pack them in any way we can, and whatever inventory we have left over, uh, you know, we're using it. Specials on everything. 
Ben, let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the teams that has been extraordinarily successful both on the field and off the field this year and has started kind of spinning promotions off of promotions. The Fresno Grizzlies, who are, of course, known for a season this year as the Fresno Tacos or for a game this season, uh, they kind of played some extra promotions off of what spawned the taco promotion, which was the fifth edition of their taco truck throwdown. They brought back kind of a pared down version of that with some of the top contenders. What's been going on in Fresno over these last few weeks? Well, you know, Fresno, we could talk about them for a long time because in the midst of the affiliation change from the Giants to the Astros, they kind of lost the core of their identity being so affiliated, you know, and um, identified with the Giants that it really has created, you know, caused them to go all out on their promotions and to take ideas that were already pretty big and, and yeah, as you said, spin them off and go nuts. So the Taco Truck Throwdown, you know, draws one of their largest crowds of the year. Uh, you know, Fresno is the home of the Taco Truck. Yeah, they did. They had like a Champions Taco Truck Night. Um, you know, pared down, but still giving fans a chance to do that. The throwdown concept uh, extended to the tri-tip sandwich. And then even during the playoffs, when it is very hard to schedule a promotion during the playoffs, uh, again, because of so much uncertainty, they had a rib throwdown, and they just kept their, like, promotional approach going uh, all the way, you know, into the finals now, and uh, that, that's tough to do. Um, and uh, you also have to think operationally is you lose a lot of your game day staff in September because so many of them are college students, so it's tough to do the same thing that's a great point too in, in, in the season so that's like a whole nother thing you have to consider so the teams i was even thinking that with columbus like man they must have lost a lot of uh you know game day box office employees uh ticketing interns that kind of stuff and they're still basically selling out the ballpark not selling but at least <laughs> distributing those tickets um you know it's all hands on deck this time of year for the teams that are still in it especially if they want to blow it out and create some energy around the playoffs if your team is still in it, get to the ballpark. It's still baseball. We're still raging against the dying of summer. So go out and find, especially if you're in Columbus, you're not going to pay anything to get in. So go have some fun today, uh, an international league championship series game. Uh, it is funny though. You bring that uh, up about, you know, high school, college kids have to go back to school. I actually texted a uh, media relations guy for an Appy league team a couple of weeks ago for a story. And even he said, Oh, I'm actually back in school, but here's the guy who can help you out. So that's one of those things that people don't really realize that these staffs, that's another tough challenge about the playoffs sometimes these staffs get very very toned down compared to what they are at the height of the summer but uh for all these teams who are still in the playoffs once you make it in you might as well win it once you get there it's kind of the mentality so um you know a guy who wins every week on the show before the show is benjamin hill you can follow ben on twitter he's at ben's biz you like that description didn't even make any sense but no that was the next way we're going to toss you out say just let that sit that was good yeah You just got to have faith and, you know, don't even talk about it. Just let it be. <laughs> just let it ride. Yeah. Ben, thanks, man. We'll do it again next week. All right. I look forward to it. Putting the finishing touches on episode number 25 of Minor League Baseball is the show before the show podcast. You can head on over to iTunes. Give us a rating, a review, and a subscription there. We always love the reviews on iTunes. We always love the ratings on iTunes. Helps us out, and it helps you feel good. You've done something for uh, a couple of minor league baseball writers, and what could be better in your day today? I think your heart grows ten times that way. Exactly. If you do something nice for a minor league baseball writer. So You're like do something for yourself by doing something for us. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's a, that should be the, the slogan of the podcast going there forward. Go. Uh, yeah. So you can head on over to iTunes and do that. You can also find the podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. I am at Tyler Mon and minor league baseball is at MILB. And as we are now getting deeper and deeper into this postseason, we've got a ton of stuff 
coming up on MILB.TV because the rest of the postseason at the higher levels, you can pretty much watch uh, – the International League Championship Series, Pacific Coast League Championship Series, the AA Leagues, and there is some Class A advanced action that will be on MILB TV as well. So a lot of those guys who Sam talked about earlier, some of the top prospects who were left in the postseason, you can catch all their games on MILB.TV, which is really exciting. Yeah, and the other good thing about MILB.TV, too, is we get a lot of really cool highlights. Um, one guy I didn't get to mention at the top was uh, J.P. Crawford. He made one sick tag. Um, on a you know caught stealing that play I watched base. that play like it was the Zapruder film I watched it like <laughs> seventy four times Where is the tag, Where's the second <laughs> tag? Uh, Yeah so you know playoff highlights still happen that every hit is you know five times bigger every home run is five times bigger you know these things mean something so come back to the site even if a game's not happening see what you missed um, while the game happened the night before you know you might see a web gem and it, and again I recommend watching that J P Crawford tag as many times as you can. Um, you know, five times at least. Uh, so, yeah, play is still happening. All kinds of fun stuff uh, across the rest of the minor league spectrum throughout the playoff series that have yet to be wrapped up, and a lot of teams are going to be celebrating, and there is not much cooler. You get to watch a World Series champion celebrate every year, and that's cool, but for the minor league guys who have been through, it's such an overplayed word, but a minor league baseball really applies. For the guys who have been through the grind of 140, 140-plus game seasons, riding around on buses, taking red-eye flights to wherever they need to be, there is nothing cooler than watching those guys celebrate because they go through the ringer over six, seven months of a minor league season. So uh, congratulations to those who have already clinched, and we'll have some storylines on the uh, the clinchings and the other stuff that is yet to come as we uh, wrap up the 2015 season of minor league baseball coming up next week with episode number 26. But uh, our thanks to you for tuning in. And, again, you can head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review and a subscription there. And uh, until next time, enjoy the rest of the playoffs, and we'll talk to you then.